Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 136, episode 3 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers and fuck Fox News. It's Thursday, June 4th. 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, aka the Baja Blaster of Disaster. Let's go with that. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Miles Gray, aka if your news is not using the words white supremacy and capitalism in their coverage of anything. I don't know if they are actually able to diagnose the problems. If we're not using the right words to identify the problems, we will not be able to solve them. Uh, And we'll get into that. Uh, But I am, we just have to get into the news. There's a a different energy uh, with what's happening right now that I'm like, I'm I'm constantly amazed at how, uh, again, white supremacy has to sort of reform itself to be able to maintain its power. And you see that in the news coverage, and you see that with the, uh, the just unchained ag- the, the, the aggression coming from the police. It's, it's a lot. Uh, so, yes, join us yeah. on this journey. It as is a we lot. Pick apart, uh, just how bad things are. And we are thrilled to have in our third seat uh, one of my favorite stand-up comedians, one of the funniest humans working currently. She is the hilarious, the talented Dulce Sloan. Hello, friend. I feel like you were flirting with me, and I accept it. Um, <laughs> even though in these troubling times, I don't know if I should accept affections from a white man. But, yeah. you know, tomato, <laughs> fair, tomato. Fair. You know, you yeah. got to work in the community. Um, hello, everyone. Yeah. How is I... everyone doing? Oh, you know. Um, you know. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. I'm it's doing bad. bad. I think this is the the time that we're allowed to say when someone's like, "Hey, how's it going?" You're allowed to be like, "Bad," and not be, uh, you know, one of the yeah. neurotic considered neurotic. Yeah, this is the time where black people have got their very worried white friends just being like, "Are are you good? I don't. Are yep. you? Are you <laughs> right. good? I'm, yeah." It's, Miles, I don't I'm, know who your people are. People hitting you I'm up black and Japanese. You? I'm black there and Japanese. And you know I'm okay, getting so those texts. And the what the funny thing is, I scroll up, the last fucking thing they text me, they were asking me for something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it but that's what it's like. That's the thing. Right. And that's the thing I want people to like, that's the thing. I'm like, I, I understand. Thank you. Like, if that helps you feel better about your privilege to check on me and that feels like a way to, you know, handle that fine. But my God, man! I, black people have had plenty of time to to carve up and analyze what's been going on. The the murder of David McAtee, that man who owns the barbecue shop in Louisville, particularly, yeah. is heartbreaking. My grandfather, who you know, his family moved from the South to Chicago. He came from mm-hmm. Chicago out to L.A. looking for work because of the war effort. A tax-paying right. black man who served his country, entrepreneur. Who had to do everything mm-hmm. on his own? He owned. He. Yeah. My grandfather used to own a barbecue restaurant, Slauson and Overhill in L.A. And and then and the and people knew in the neighborhood. My, he was good with people because he he saw him making barbecue as a way to to feed his community. It wasn't it wasn't for profit. Those those yeah. margins are razor thin. That's not to to go ball out. 
He did it because that's yeah. a way that that's an expression of our love for each other too, is through us providing for each other and cooking for each other. And I know during the riots, he in '92 he was worried about his place, but things were okay, thank God. But I just think about this other man, a grandfather, a black man in the street, who police seem to know his restaurant too, is just murdered. I, I you know, yeah. I don't know what I don't know. It was like, because I was like, why are you shooting? Because the story I got was somebody was shooting at the police. They shot back and he wasn't, it was an innocent bystander situation. Mm -hmm. Mm. So it wasn't him. Like he wasn't, because he wasn't protesting. It was like, he wasn't protesting. It was an innocent bystander situation. And I'm always like, Straight bullets always seem to catch good people. Mm-hmm. They never seem to catch the awful dude. Yeah, they're like, like they whoa, never yeah. Seem to... Hitler got hit by a stray bullet? Right. But <laughs> right. then, but I guess if you are the awful dude, the bullet's not stray. Like, I don't understand right. what happens. Like, if you're shooting at the cops and you get shot, you're just like, all right, you earned that the right way. But if you're, you know, just a right, like, the, the stray bullet has always been a weird, a weird kind of thing where it's just like, oh, you're never your going to catch now. a dude who was a, who was, you know, a horrible person. You know, it was, you know, kicking puppies and hurting kids and all this other stuff like that. Right. Like stray bullets go around yeah. him. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if the evil protects you. Like, I don't know <laughs> what the philosophy of the stray bullet is, but. I can be thankful that my white friends who have hit me up to ask if I'm all right. It's not the, are you all right? Well, what can I do? It's not those two. Because mm-hmm. some people either get the, it's kind of like as a comic when you book something. <laughs> like when I booked, like when I got Daily Show, there was two types, there's <laughs> there's three types of people that hit you up. Oh, shit. <laughs> there's the, oh my God, congratulations, and that's the end of the sentence. And then there's, mm. um, oh, congratulations. How did you book that? How'd you book That's- that? <laughs> right. And then there's just the people that are just like, oh, hey, well, how'd you book this? Okay, cool. You just said congratulations. We're friends. Congratulations on how you book this. We're friends, but you're an ass. If it's just how did you book this, I'm going to block you on social media. Right. Mm. Like, And so it's the same thing. It's how are you? Done. How are you? What can I do? Done. What can I do? First of all, Quit asking us. Yeah. Right. Because we've been peacefully protesting, but then it's because I'm very much over the, well, if they would have done it this, listen, listen, there is plenty of footage. We've all seen eyes on the prize. We all went to high school. We all found out what happened. I'm really to the point where I'm just like, I'm going to need white people to stop talking about Martin Luther King. Yes. Because what right. you're doing is using Martin Luther King to silence us. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing on the he wouldn't want the rights, he wouldn't want the rights. And then it's like, oh, this is what we're going to do? Fine. And then you send them the clip of Martin Luther King doing a speech saying that riots are the language of the unheard. So now you don't have a rebuttal. Because right. it was, well, Martin Luther and I was like, no, 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 no. Let's not guess what we, he would have thought. Mm-hmm. It's Let right there. me show you an actual clip of what the man said. Because I don't know if you saw on Twitter where people were white explaining to Bernice King. Oh my God, yeah. About what her father would have done. And she was like, <laughs> My father peacefully protested and y'all assassinated him. 
So you've already told us what happens when we peacefully protest. We did sit-ins at lunch counters and we were attacked. We peacefully protested across the bridge. That was a massacre. We had a whole town set up in Tulsa, Oklahoma because you wouldn't leave us alone. Toward You burned the city down. May 31st to June 1st, that was 99 years ago. So all of the times where we have been, we've done, we've gone by your rules. Fine. You don't want us to live near you. We'll make our own town. Oh, these Negroes are successful. Burn it down. Mm -hmm. Okay. You want us to peacefully protest? We did all of this. Let's attack them with dogs and fire hoses. So we are trying to follow the rule. Every it's you're given. You're not, you're giving us the guidelines of what we have to do for you. Acknowledge us as human beings and and acknowledge our rights. And it's still, we didn't do that's the thing, because I think, right, they're trying to say, well, these are the rules to getting what you want. But see, well, we played by the rules, and we're not getting what, well, it's not even what we want. It's what we're owed. It's what we, what we, are, what we, what we deserve as human beings. But when the people, who make the, the people who make the rules will always be able to change the yeah. rules. Then fuck the game, then. We'll play a different one. So, yeah. my thing is now, stop asking us. You want to know what you can do for me as a black person to change things? Call your dad call your dad call your uncle call your auntie call mm-hmm. all of those people that are the reason that you don't go home for thanksgiving because all of those people are the ones saying all lives matter and you're more care more about a target on fire than a man with a uh than a police man's knee on his neck stop asking us we didn't start this problem because mm-hmm. how can an abuser look at the victim and turn to the victim and say Tell me how to stop abusing you. How yeah. does that make sense? Black people have spent our whole lives, we've been taught generation after generation after generation how to navigate through white folks to survive. And this is the time for white people to net, to teach white people how to navigate through us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We played by the rules and you keep changing them. Right. So I'm going to, then the rule maker need to talk to the rule maker. Because obviously you're not listening to us because you can watch all these videos and not care. Well, what did he do wrong? He existed. There was anything he couldn't have done right. So I'm not playing this game no more. Because yeah. the only reason buses got desegregated is because the Montgomery bus system was about to go bankrupt. They didn't change their minds about us. They didn't money. make us people. It was 18 months and it was running out of money. Some man needed to send his child to college. It was either, either he can't go to school or these Negroes get to say whatever they want on this bus. When about us? Mm-hmm. All these changes haven't been about us. You messed their money up. My mama told me as a kid, you want to change stuff? Mess up D-white man money and stuff will change. It's not about us. It's not about acknowledging the humanity in us. That's not, necess- that's, that's not, that's not the point. You burnt, huh? Target, Target don't seem to care. Why you care? Right. Right. Because no, I'm not yeah. playing this game no more. I'm not Why playing this game yeah. no more. Because white people don't want to believe that it, things could actually be that bad. And so it's easier to just be like, oh, well, it can't be that. It can't be that black people in this country have experienced white supremacy and oppression so bad that they would, that this is what it's led to. That can't be. That's like this self-preservation shit again, because if you have to really look white supremacy in the eye, that's when you can begin to be like, ooh, that maybe we can fix something about it. But when you don't talk about it, it's easy to just move on because you don't have to talk about the problem. And I think it's really, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll have a guest on later to just kind of talk about sort of what's going on on the ground and, and ways to, to constructively move forward. But, I, you know, like I said in the episode yesterday, 
for all the uh, allies posting those black squares, keep that black square energy up three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from yeah. now. Yeah, keep the because same energy. Like, If I don't it. see that energy up, you're the worst kind of fucking person there is because you are just posturing to try and comfort us. Like, I'll, I will you- feel... I'll feel better when I see action. And and, I, and again, I like I get I get what you're trying to do, but mm-hmm. the the thing is in the street, I st- I still see people who I could look at as being my own grandfather get murdered mm-hmm. for nothing. That's my grandfather owned a dry cleaner and fought for this country. Yeah. And came back. My grandfather right. fought World War II overseas and then came back and not yep. been in had to have his business in a specific place. Had to, it was tri- I'm okay. It's all. It's okay to shoot at me and fight for this country, and then I come back, and it's just like, well, what? Well, Thank why you. did I go? Well, why did I go? Because yeah. when the Navy recruiter was trying to talk to my brother, me and my mama shut that all the way down. No, you're not gonna fight for a country that'll kill you. That sounds wild, Jack. How you feeling? What you got to say, <laughs> bud? I was come just gonna Jack, say that the GI Bill was a specific. Uh, instrument of of redlining and white supremacy. The the GI Bill after after World War Two, after black people fought for the country, they used the policies uh, coming back from the war to specifically institute white supremacy. But, but Jack, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how are you doing with this? Right, like I know I, I know you're not a, a shitty white dude because when I worked for you, you said I don't want to hire a bunch of white guys here. Uh, and, right. and I've seen you, like, I know, I know you to be a good empathetic human being, but I'm curious because I don't, I only know it from the side of the oppressed person. And this whole weekend I'm thinking like, fuck, I'm Japanese. I'm black. I have like multiple examples to look at how the country just fucking body slammed me. And I'm curious what it is on the other side to have to say, you know, what, 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 what is your experience like? Because the only experience I'm seeing uh from from other people who are not black is like them getting together marching talking to each other or whatever and i see the experience on that and but i'm curious to know what the emotions are or what that experience is like because this you know this it seems like a lot of people are being a lot more introspective than normal yeah i mean it's a lot of introspection uh, a lot of rage a lot of despair trying rage about what despair about what what are you mad about what are you sad at and I'm not about, trying to put you on the spot. I actually want to know. Right. I mean, you know, the the white supremacy in the country is something that uh, I've been aware of for a long time and been pointing out for a long time, like to Miles's point on yesterday's episode. The Daily Zeitgeist, our show, has been pointing out there's white supremacy, there's examples of it, but what what are we going to do about it? And... Despair, I guess, at looking at my own life and realizing that I haven't done enough. I haven't done enough other than pointing it out, basically. So trying to talk to my family about how we change, how we're living our lives to not support the status quo as it exists, and then rage just at the status quo on the fact that this is this keeps happening six years ago the solution was well let's retrain the police let's you know 
defund the or not defund the police. Let's give them more funding to retrain the police to get more, you know, resources and and body cameras and shit like that. And that just it just doesn't matter. It's I, I guess it's a feeling of hopelessness and just a feeling that how I've lived my life up to this point isn't there needs to be more a deeper change. So it's you know, I just want to point out that standpoint. you know, you said you felt despair. And I don't think that's a proper emotion in all honesty for white people to feel about this. Because you guys are at the you guys are at the dry you are at the wheel right now. You're at the wheel. We are not. We're asking we're asking the driver to to drive us somewhere safe. And y'all are and at they the keep wheel. running off the road. And that's why I don't, and I don't mean like shame, you shouldn't feel despair, but I think any white person who feels despair, you should understand y'all have every reason to feel charged up right now because you can actually, there's a lot more you can do with your privilege and your place as as the hegemonic class and race in this country to really do something. We are out here, we're on empty, but we still got the fucking pedal to the metal. And I don't know how there is more gas going into the engine, but we're doing it. The thing is, and this is what I was even saying last week, the way this puzzle is finished is by everybody else feeling the same way we do. And black death shouldn't be obscure to white people. And this is an exercise for anybody. Picture somebody in your family that died recently. I don't care what race you are. That shit hurt, didn't it? Tragic, uh, unsudden, or an old age, whatever. It's a tragedy to have someone die in your life a family member. Now imagine if that family member was killed. How worse would that feel? Probably worse because that's a lot. You have a lot of time to to wrap your head around illness and these other things, but to be tragically murdered, that's awful. That's a pain that not many people know. And I don't wish many people to know. Now add on top of that, that the people, you know, who killed your family member. And you're out there saying, I have video evidence of this man killing my family member. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have a legal system that looks at that evidence and says, I don't know, it looked like he had hypertension and possible mm. intoxicants. And you tell me how that's supposed, and, and suddenly we're going to experience death differently? Fuck no. That shit mm. is absolutely degrading every time it happens, and it still happens. That's why. We are the ones that feel despair because the facts are we look at evidence of ourselves being killed all the time and not a fucking thing is happening about it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, white people have all the votes, have all the money, have all the fucking power. You could put mm. all you could put all your, you know, do some fundraising, whatever. I don't care what it is, but y'all have the power. That's not you don't see black companies saying, you know, we're going to do our part to hire more white people. That's not that because that's not the game. Y'all are running the game. So you that's so don't feel despair. Feel empowered now. Because y'all got the fucking star in Mario with that white privilege. Now fucking run through these blocks and shit. I'll say yeah. this. I can understand how you feel upset because you feel like I'm one person trying to do some things, right? I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to hire more black people. I'm trying to talk to my family. I'm trying to do all of these things. And you, as one person, feel like that you're doing the best that you can to try to help. But you know you're just one person trying to do something, right? 
but you're not yelling, you're not screaming, you're not marching, and nobody's dying around you. So that feeling that you have, it's because I'm trying to fix it and nothing's changing, right? That little feeling. I'm trying to fix it and nothing's changing. I'm doing whatever I, the little things that I can to try to fix it, right? And realizing that I'm not doing enough. Now take that feeling and apply it to an entire population of people who have been screaming for years, stop killing us. We're not asking, it's, so that feeling, because one thing that white people have been able to do, they've been able to see that this is a problem. But they've not been able to feel anything that we've felt. So that feeling that you have of I'm only this one thing that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to fix it, and I don't know what to do, and I keep trying, and I keep trying, and I'm banging my head against the wall. Now take that same feeling and then apply it to the entire time we've been here, at least since emancipation. So from 1865 till today, that feeling and disperse it over every single black person who's ever lived in the United States. That that small feeling that you have. Now add on institutional poverty, institutional racism, police brutality, uh, a broken fucking justice system, and just people who are taught to be afraid of us. TV teaches them. And yet everything we create is every bit of a music that plays in America. We made it. We made it. Rock and roll, all of it, little Richard, all of them. All we created everything that is quintessential America, right? When people think about American food, they think about Southern food that was made by my people. And yet we're told constantly we don't contribute. So you're telling me I'm not needed here. You're telling me I'm not wanted here. But you steal from us constantly. So you kill us to prove what you're saying. But then you also take everything we've ever created from us. And then we have the audacity to laugh and to yell and to celebrate and to be happy. So we continue to live while the majority population has worked very hard to destroy us. Because the main problem, the main problem is, like I said, the abuser can't look at the victim and ask the victim how to tell them, how how can I stop abusing you? The problem is, when you have these conversations, the same people that can type into the internet, all lives matter, are the same people that don't think that they're racist. Whenever we have this conversation about how to change things and how to make things different, right? No white person will say, I am part of the problem. That's what never happens. Nobody will acknowledge that they are the problem. We're all talking about these mythical white people Mm -hmm. that are the issue. Mm -hmm. 
Because every white person's like, well, I'm not. Except not the me. ones that are flat out racist. Yeah. But some of them will be like, oh, now I don't fuck with them. I send them to jail. I don't care. But most of them have been taught you be racist and you be quiet about it. So how can you fix the system when the abuser won't acknowledge that they are abusing? Right. Yep. That's the first thing that has to happen. You have to go, I am part of the problem. You can't be part of the solution if you are the one causing the problem. You can fix it. But how can you be part of the solution while denying the fact that the issue was initialized by everybody who looks like you. That's what has to happen. Before mm -hmm. these black squares and before you keep this energy up and before you, it's, if this is going to get fixed, it is not our job to fix it. This is y'all. Because we didn't make this system, we didn't start this system, we don't work in this system. We didn't hop on them boats because we wanted to. We were kidnapped. And since then, we've been still been treated like we are owned. We always have. That's why white women call the police on black people, because they feel like that we are beholden to them. We have to answer for where we are if we are in their space. Yeah. We're in our own building and you're calling the cops on us. Yep. Bitch, I live here. I pay the rent here. But since you don't like me in this space, I can die. Mm hmm. You know what happens when you call them. Like that heifer that called the cops on that man who was watching the birds. You saw in the video how she changed her voice. Mm -hmm. She knew exactly what to do. Didn't even have to think about it. And apparently I heard she Canadian. So she ain't <laughs> even from here and she know the campaign. Right. Because it's worldwide. And I think that's you can it's see it all over the world too. It's worldwide because this is what the thing is. We can't go nowhere. Yeah. I'm not wanted here. I'm not even, I'm not connected where I'm genetically from. I'm from here. But people can look me dead in my face and go, well, if you don't like this country, why don't you go back to Africa? I told this dude, if you don't like this country, why don't you go back to Europe? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, France, I said, France, England, Ireland, Germany, all of them places are not the United States of America. We both got here on boats. So if I'm leaving, you leaving. Don't play with me. Because mm -hmm. if we don't like the country, we can go back to Africa. If these white folks don't like this country, nobody's telling them to go back. Because they have innate ownership of this place. We built the fuck. we literally built the fucking White House. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, we handed them the paper and the pen. I'm sorry. Quill. So don't start <laughs> with me. Right. We do this all day with y'all. And then they wonder why we don't wear. It seems like with this particular protest, all the black people finally figured out, you know what? They got to say something to each other mm -hmm. because y'all have made it quite clear. You're not listening to us. And I really have hope for these police officers that I see kneeling and doing all this other shit. I hope it's not a photo op. Because when I first started seeing it, I was like, okay, maybe things are changing. Mm -hmm. But this is a whole group of people who have been trained to take orders. So it's, hey, we don't want no problems. Go out there and kneel. And the other one's like, fuck it, cut them up. I don't know.
I want to believe that these men and women are actually motivated and can actually see the humanity in us to kneel. But what I know, if Shonda Rhimes and Scandal taught me anything, (laughs) is that a photo op, optics are very important. So I hope it's real. But at the same time, y'all done taught me the rules of the game since day one. So I know what the campaign is. I hope it's real. Sorry, I ran. Nah, and I think, and yeah, we're going to have Pastor Eddie Anderson on to talk a little bit more just about what to do with all this energy. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll have Pastor Eddie Anderson on. And we're back. And Miles, like I mentioned earlier, you've been talking about not just focusing on pointing out uh, the problem, but also ways forward and, and a solution. And you were able to book a guest, uh, Pastor Edward Anderson, uh, Eddie Anderson, uh, Pastor Eddie, who uh, is going to help us talk about that. Uh, yeah. Pastor Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me on, Jack and Miles. Yeah, anytime. Uh, you know, Pastor Eddie, like, you know, I, I, I got to you through other activists and orga- organizers I know, so I'm very thankful to them for putting us in contact because I think, you know, we have a responsibility as a show. Like, we do preach empathy, uh, equality, and justice on this show. And I think now is, a, now is the time where we have to begin giving people the tools they need to actually begin uh, making those kinds of changes. So, you know, I, I wanted to bring you on because... Uh, there was a lot of misconceptions about what happened in LA over the weekend uh, in terms of peaceful protests and things like that. And, and and you've helped organize those things. So, you know, we just want to give you the time to to speak to everybody and, and give us a bit of wisdom right now uh, and, and, and learn about what we can all do to kind of help push this thing forward and not let the flame die out. Thanks, Miles. Yeah, yeah I want to address uh, protests on Saturday. So I work with um, Black Lives Matter as a pastor and advocate at Pastor Church in South Los Angeles, McCarty Memorial Christian Church. Um, and the protest was organized by Bill Power and Black Lives Matter LA. Uh, me and another pastor, Pastor Q, we led the protest, the march into the street, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's 5,000 people plus into the street. Uh, we march all the way from Third Street over there by the Grove, all the way down to La Cienega. Mm-hmm. Uh, crossed every intersection as we were coming down uh, the street. We saw people coming out of their businesses, clapping. We saw people honking their horns, people saying Black Lives Matter. Uh, we were clear we were marching uh, because of Black death, because George Floyd's life was uh, killed and he was lynched in front of our eyes. But we also was marching for our Black future uh, that to, to claim that we have dignity and respect. So yes, as black people, we have the right to be angry, we have the right to be mad, and we have the right to peacefully protest in the street. And so we prayed, we chanted, we, uh, we chanted prosecute killer cops, we chanted defund the police, uh, we chanted George Floyd's name, Breonna Taylor's name, uh, we prayed in the street, we said the Asada. Uh, after we said the Asada, which is, you know, uh, we have nothing to lose but our chains, uh, we must love protect one another, we started walking back down the street, uh, me and the other pastor who led the protest, and what we saw unravel before our eyes 
was police brutality. You saw uh, cops coming down the street in armored trucks with riot gear and guns ready to go, batons, a standoff uh, being set up. We saw a cop car on fire at 3rd and Fairfax, but when we just crossed that street about 30 to 45 minutes before, there was no cop car there, right? And so uh, we're saying, you know, you come to people uh, with riot gear, batons, and rubber bullets, you will incite a riot, right? You will change the energy. Well, what do you expect? Yeah. Do you think in a way, like, police are dressed like that because they almost know their own karma? Yeah, like that. They are almost like, man. If they're as mad as as mad as I would be for treating these people, I would be. I would pull up in tanks too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think police are uh, are. They know that the system of policing has been wretched. That it stems from slave catching, right? And that it's been oppressing black people for for centuries and decades, right? Like yeah. this isn't. When you saw what you saw in the streets was in response to George Floyd, but it's also in response in LA to black people being stopped five times as more than uh, white counterparts. It's also in response to enhancement in gang databases. It's in response to years and years of oppression uh, and seeing the disparities in our country, in our economy, especially in LA. And then you're giving the police a raise, right? Yeah. Like, of the LA budget is going towards police. That's $3.1 billion. Excuse me. We're in the middle of a global pandemic and we couldn't figure out how to get health workers who are risking their lives, protective gear they needed, how to make sure people get tested in time. Right. So it's it's, it's like. But they got plenty of flashbangs and rubber bullets. Right. You know, and drums. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of the work that you do is so important. and, And the thing about a moment like this, I'm sure, is you see a lot of energy uh, for people to act. And I think a lot of people have the same kind of will uh, to begin to do something. And I think a lot of people, it's the takes I see on social media and like watching other people like, you know what, but what's what's the next part? Like, what are we going to do next and things like that? And I think not that there has to be like, this is the one thing, but, you know, can, can you speak a bit to helping people like like what's the vision of the future for people to begin to buy into so they know the kinds of things that their support is going to be needed that's a good question uh the next step is feel your anger feel your pain and organize and mobilize right uh we're in the middle of an election year so you saw yesterday uh there was an action at the mayor's house right shutting it down at the mayor's house for the people's budget la and that's simply we we surveyed over 10,000 Angelinos and asked them, what's your priority for a budget? Is it to give the police a raise or do you want more healthcare, better schools? Do you want to invest in our neighborhoods? Uh, make sure that black communities have an economy of care, black and brown communities, right? So that's the next step. People's Budget LA, that budget fight we saw yesterday, the budget went into effect, but then you saw right away uh, the city council president uh, tweet and say like the budget's not done yet. You know we still right, gotta right. gotta do this work and it's like continue plugging in there. Uh, today at three p.m. we'll be going to Jackie Lake's office for two years. Black Lives Matter has been organizing this pro- this protest. We says prosecute killer cops. The six hundred and one uh, deaths in L.A. that officer involved the hands death. Of LAPD. Right. You know, and so only two of them have even had charges, and none of them have really been prosecuted. Uh, there's an election in November where we can get rid of Jackie Lacey once and for all and get right. someone in the office who 
actually would take black trauma, uh, black death seriously and prosecute people who are killing our people, right? So that's another thing, right? How do we plug in and make sure we're voting in elections? We want to prosecute killer cops. So we want to make sure we're going to get a DA that can do that as well. These right. are ways you can plug in and channel your anger as well as show up in the streets. Mm-hmm. Miles, Ooh. do you think, what what do you think are good places for, because I've seen that pointed out as a, uh, as a solution to, uh, or anyone, but as a solution is like to vote on your local elections. Like, do you, do you guys have any uh, resources that people can use to kind of research that local stuff? I just like, are we just like going with the local paper to like You're saying how do you avoid the, the misinformation best. rather yeah, than the sort misinformation of like- because like you said at the top like there everything the local news the local media everything is so shot through with misinformation and you know capitalism and white supremacy that it's it, it feels hard like right now the best way to get access to the information that Pastor Eddie was talking about is on social media, which like typically people are like, don't trust social media, like social media, but like that's right. the only place that you're finding out the fucking truth right now. Like, so in, in terms of like what, with the solution, how do we research the solution when everything is so corrupt? Yeah, I think there's uh, coalitions that have been doing this work in LA you can amplify yeah. so justice la have been doing the work around should we close prisons uh there's, there's a count there's a da coalition for justice and accountability that's, that's highlighting the da race uh the appeal is doing good work uh on this as well and then of course follow blm la follow the movement for black lives uh, follow reform la jails which is highlighting how can we do this work students deserve it's also another organization la voice as well but also, I would encourage people to just be as active as possible. If you can't find it, search for it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if you, if you, it's it'll be too easy to say, "Well, I didn't know who to vote for because I couldn't find the thing." Well, start understanding your own community. Start knowing who the people are that maintaining these kinds of systems of oppression. And so, because when you can identify them and their transgressions, it's much easier to say, "Oh, that's somebody." Who I shouldn't vote for, even though they might have a D next to their name when I go to the poll. That's not somebody right. I should vote for. Because I think the next step mm. also, too, is finding, you know, th- like you said, there's an election coming up. So r- now is also an, a very important time to begin demanding more from your leaders as well and say, well, where do you stand on black lives? And 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 can you can will you out loud in a speech say that systemic white supremacy is an issue? And will you say that out loud to your constituents? Because if you don't, I don't know if I can trust you to solve that problem because you can't even identify it. Right. And I think yeah. those are the those are the things that we also need to begin to demand more from our leaders as well. And that can be as proactive as calling your representative now and say, hey, I'm gonna vote for you. But just so you know, I'm I'm I I, I want an agenda from you as a leader that addresses systemic injustice and racial injustice and all of these things as as a voter. That's one thing too. Um, I, I think you straight on because you know, the city council president said, oh, we're going to start debate again on 6-8 for the city budget. Right. You can call your elected official, the ones who have been silent during uh, the protests, and say, hey, here's a way you can help. You can reinvest the money that you was going to spend on things that we need, on health, on health care. You can reinvest it on, on schools. 
right? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. You can shift those resources right now. It doesn't have to be this way. Right. Pastor Eddie, another thing I want to talk about is your work with the Poor People's Campaign, because that that is really a continuation of work that was starting decades ago. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it's important for people to understand, like, what the Poor People's Campaign is as well, because I think we're... You know, a lot of a lot of these injustices that we're going to overcome is because we're we have solidarity. Like we're saying before we had you on, it's not just enough for black people to let their pain be known and these injustices known. It's also it, we also need everybody else's help to steer this ship in the right way. So I, I would love to also give you a second to tell people about the Poor People's Campaign. Yeah, the Poor People's Campaign is continuing where Dr. Martin Luther King and others started in 1968 when he was assassinated. Uh, nationally is led by my good friend, the Reverend William J. Barber and Liz Theo Harris. Uh, it's basically just saying that there are still 145 million poor people in America. In California, that's one in four children are poor. That's one in four women are poor. It shows up as black women in LA spending around 70% of their money on rent. It shows up in an incarcerated uh, system, systematic uh, incarceration in our systems. And so we're saying we need moral clarity, we need a moral revival, uh, and we need to highlight that uh, poverty does not have to be a, a, a problem in this nation, especially in California, where we have the fifth largest economy uh, in the world. Uh, and yet we have the second highest homeless rate in the entire nation, right? LA County has the highest homeless rate in any city in the country, right? Uh, and we aren't talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Black Lives Matter because 45% of the people who are on the streets are Black, but yet we're less than 9% of the population in LA. Yeah, in LA. Right? Yeah. So, let, so let's talk about uh, what we're really doing to solve the problem. Portland's campaign is highlighting that across the country. Uh, they're getting ready. We're getting ready for a moral uh, digital march because we're going to do a march on Washington on June 20th, 2020. That's now online via Zoom campaign.org to see that info or you can follow me on Instagram and I'll, I'll post stuff on that as well. Awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss before we, we let you go, Pastor Eddie? Yeah, I just, I just want to encourage people uh, continue to show up in the street, um, continue to yep. protest, make your voice known, follow the movements that are doing the work, put your dollars in those movements as well. People are getting arrested right now. We're in a militarized state. Uh, so the curfew we're hearing every night people are getting arrested. So if you can help build people out, do that as well. But we need your voice. This is your movement, your revolution. Uh, and it's time time for now to turn up in the streets. Thanks so much for visiting us, Pastor Eddie. Where can people kind of follow the work you do? And it just if they want to direct anybody to anywhere, please let them know. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Eddie L. Anderson. You can follow BLM LA to figure out the work that's going on. Or both People's Budget LA. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back. And we're back. Sorry, I disappeared. Uh, the LA curfew notification came through and knocked me out of Zoom uh, for the last couple minutes of uh, Pastor Eddie's conversation. Apologies. Did you see the footage of the people in Philadelphia, the like 
roving gangs of white dudes of with bats white dudes walking with around bat, yeah. after after curfew. Like we we mm-hmm. talked on uh, yesterday's episode about the kind of racist history of, of the curfews in America, but uh, that was you talk about the racist <sighs> history of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Jesus. Or America. Whoa. <laughs> it's like we have to That's keep zooming is. out. You know, like we right. get so we get we have so many examples that are the microscopic version that we always try and solve it at the microscopic level when we really need to have the 10,000 foot altitude discussion about all of this. Because if if we're not addressing all that shit underneath, it's going to keep happening. Uh, yeah, because when y'all asked me what myth I wanted to talk about, yeah, um, the myth that I had was that America likes to America likes to act like that the South is the only place that's racist. That's the biggest <laughs> myth, mm, right? The biggest myth. Yeah, it come is to LA. So amazing. Come to LA. Come to LA. I've lived come here. To LA. Come on down. I lived in LA before I moved to New York. Guess what? Come to New York. Guess yeah. what? Go to Chicago. Guess what? Go to Fort Wade, Indiana, or Arkansas, or the entire United States of America. So yeah, I think that's the main myth, and I talk about it all the time because these Yankees really feel like that they let that they're. Well, what are you? Well, I'm not, mm-hmm. and like that's what I said in my half hour. I know y'all are more racist. Y'all split up white people. <laughs> uh, Y'all in Italian neighborhoods, Irish neighborhoods. My yeah, neighborhood originally Boston. was a Greek neighborhood, Boston. And I also say to people all the time, people have always heard this. And it's apparently this is something only say I've heard, you know, more than once in my life and only from white people for the most part. It's you get your bachelor's, they say you get your bachelor's in racism in the South, you get your master's in Boston. So mm. that's a whole different kind. Like y'all are y'all are splitting up white. Pe- who has the time mm. to get that specific with a racism? And I was like, oh y'all can't put y'all cannot put this yeah on one place in this country. It is wild to me. There were sundown towns all over the country. There's redlining all over the country. Oregon was created as a white haven state. Mm-hmm. Black people were not even allowed to live there because the Civil War sympathizer created the state. uh, Confederate sympathizer created the state. So I think that's the big, one of the big myths in America. Right. Is that we like to act like that racism only occurs in 13 states Mm -hmm. that are kissed by the sun. No, I'm not. I can't, I really, I'm over this game. I'm yeah. over this game because there's a map of all of the shootings of unarmed black people. If the South was so much more racist, there should be way more shootings in the South. Yeah. And there isn't. It's all over the country. Right. Because the police are all over the country because black people are all over the country. So I, I, and that's another thing is white people not being accountable for what they're doing. Because you can point the finger at them because you already see Southerners as backwards, back, you know, backwards and toothless and shoeless right. and all of this. Because someone's like, well, that's just what I think about, you know, the South and like, you know, Georgia. And I'm like, we had an Olympics. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
if we was that backwards, they wouldn't have gave us a damn Olympics. Calm right. the hell down, okay? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, we, we that's all find... That's my big myth. Yeah, and I think it's back to the thing of, like, white supremacy will always find ways of preserving itself by changing the discussion or not having a discussion on white supremacy because objectively white mm -hmm. supremacy is bad and there's not a person who could stand on that foot without looking like an absolute you know fill in you know alt-right thinker here but it's on its face there's not a person who's gonna be like uh yo no white supremacy is good and if you are that's a very specific person but if you're right. not t constantly talking about it you won't be able to mm -hmm. begin to see all the ways it's manifesting in our society. And I think that's why we get so caught up. It's going to be a lot easier for people to say, well, change the police and change how we police things and just solve that problem rather than going further out and say, well, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The, the, you're not even, you're, the police is already uh, a manifestation of white slavery from its roots in slavery. So we can't right. even we can't even have a discussion about that because we're we're not going far back enough and we're not looking at the the totality of it. We've all seen enough episodes of Law and Order to know <laughs> that the police are the first step. Mm. Yeah. That's your first step. The police are the first ones I deal with. The next one that I deal with is the court system. Now, the policing is inherently biased and inherently racist and inherently a tool of white supremacy. The court system is inherently biased, inherently racist, and a tool of white supremacy. Because the main example you can give is the difference in sentencing for powdered cocaine and crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. They're both cocaine. But since this one got cooked, you go to jail longer. But who did it? Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about, because this is, because one day, you know, I was, I was talking to some people about, you know, white people about this opioid crisis. And I and me and another black person said, mm -hmm. my um, sympathy for this is going to be a little lacking. And they said, why? I said, because this opioid epidemic has happened and now we're all required, we're all being asked to have sympathy for the, the addicts. We're supposed to have sympathy for these people. This is a mental health problem. This is an issue. When the crack epidemic happened, you sent people to jail. When the meth epidemic happened, and that was white people. You sent them to jail. You sent black people to jail. You sent poor white people to jail. But because the people that can afford these opioids are middle, eight, middle class and higher, now all of a sudden, we have a health crisis. We've already had two drug epidemics before that. What is the difference now? Yeah. It's what the people look like. What do the addicts look like? Because we forget another tool of white supremacy is institutional poverty. Because the greatest thing that the Republican Party ever did was convince poor white people that they had their best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. And those same people 
who don't realize, because I know the American dream don't apply to me. You were the constitution when, when Africans were being enslaved. So I know this from day one, this wasn't for me, but if you were white in this country, this document was written for you. But when you think about it, when it was written, when the constitution was written, only white men who owned land could vote. So if you are currently a poor white person who, who doesn't own anything, they weren't talking about you. And they've never been talking about you. And yet they've convinced you that the reason that your life is the way that it is, not because they have defunded your neighborhoods, kept your kids uneducated, kept you in a place where you're always going to have to be a servant class to them. They've told you the reason you live like this because bootstrapping is a myth. We know that. But you've sold them on bootstrapping and told them you live like this because these black people are doing good. You live like this because these immigrants are coming and taking your jobs. It's not us. Mm -hmm. We didn't do anything. Yeah. We care about family values. We care about families and the American dream. They're not talking about the fact that they made y'all pull all this coal out of mountain. And now there's no jobs. Mm -hmm. We sent all the factories overseas. There's no jobs. Yeah. Look whose pockets are fatter. It's not like all the, all the stats that, you know, you look at for black people in this country. It's not that you go black America is thriving. White people right. be on alert. Because I don't know where this money's going. I think it's going to That's Black America. Are you fucking look at the state of our lives and tell me that we're that we're taking something from you? No. Look at the people. Look above you now. Look at the billionaires that padded their pockets during the pandemic. Somehow, how did that but, happen? But ten rappers got money, so all the black people got right, money. Exactly. Because remember, we're a monolith. Yeah. I, I, me, and you. In this conversation, to a lot of people that are listening, me and Miles now represent every single black person in this country. Mm -hmm. Jack represents Jack. Jack gets to be one person. We are millions of people on this conversation. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. I did an interview and the girl tried to insinuate to me that because I am a quote unquote black celebrity and she goes, well, you're a celebrity. I said, no girl, I'm on TV. That's, that's two different things. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what do you mean? I said, when I walk into a restaurant, they don't get excited. They ask me how many. So mm -hmm. when they start getting excited, that's when I'm enough. <laughs> yeah. Instead of saying, ma'am, there's a 15 minute wait. No, I want you to shut the whole restaurant down. Your girl is in the building. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> My Dulce coming. Dulce coming. Stop. <laughs> Dulce's coming. Dulce's coming. Dulce's coming. I'm here for your finest tap water. Yeah. You know, so, or as my mama liked to call it, house wine. So, <laughs> but she was trying to sing, and she was basically, she was saying, because I am a black person who is well known, I will, I am dealing with less racism. And I said, I, you don't understand how this yeah. works. And I, I heard that shit too growing up because I grew up predominantly around white people and A, they're not learning that I'm actually diminishing my own blackness to be able to operate in their white space as a child. Mm -hmm. Like I'm already mm -hmm. like, all it took was a few comments from a teacher to correct the way I spoke for me to say, oh, okay. 
And so no, my mama did that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom and my grandma, they're like, no, 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 no. You are going, you, you have to speak a certain way if you are going to get a good job. Oh, don't get you me wrong. I, I was also told that too. That right. was all, these are, this is all part of the, so you want to make it in America starter kit. First, learn right. how to make yourself smaller, less imposing, less threatening. Speak as like fucking smiley and wide-eyed as possible so people aren't afraid of you. But then there's this other thing too where people say, well, you're not black, black, you know? Well, like you're half black or whatever. Let me tell you something. I still see my family being killed when I see black people mistreated. I still see the, all this injustice happening as being a part of who I am. It does, that's just based on your media-informed definition of what a black person No, that's you wanting to be okay with knowing me. Yeah, right. So I'm not black, black, first of all. And that goes, you know, I've talked to various black actors, and we've all talked about being in auditions and somebody. We've all seen Hollywood Shuffle. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. But according to America, there was very much this one drop rule mentality. In some places, it was an actual law. That one drop rule show up, sweetheart, your great, great, great grandmother right. could have been black. And you're black. That's mm-hmm. what the whole movie Showboat is about. <laughs> so for me, it's there's no way that I can look at somebody. And, you know, sometimes it is a thing. I think one people treat what the mixture is differently. Mm-hmm. It's well, you're black and what? Right. Because I'm also going to figure out how to take you in as black people. But what they mix with? They mix with what? What? Puerto Rican? Ah, it's just niggas that speak Spanish. She's fine. Right. Uh, or it's what? Black and white? Hmm. What did mama say? Black and Asian? Right. Or the kids just pretty. All right, fine. Right. Like we have this like, okay, give me what the other one is so I can figure out how to act. But it's, I'm not, you know, I'm mostly according to the paperwork and according because it's like, I have a friend who's half Middle Eastern, half white, but she, her physical features present more as white. So she is treated like a white woman. Mm-hmm. And she tells people all the time, no, I'm, you know, my father is Middle Eastern, my father is Middle Eastern, and everyone's like, yeah, that's cute. Right. So you'd only be taken in as how you look. Yeah. And I've lived in a lot, you know, and I've lived in predominantly white places, I've lived in predominantly black places, I've lived in, very, but for most of my life, I lived in very mixed. I lived in very mixed, like, neighborhoods, we were very mixed middle school, high school, and I grew up in Atlanta. So... I'm accustomed to seeing black money. I'm accustomed to seeing black excellence. Been in the King Center, Martin Luther King's house, my brother Ebenezer Baptist Church, did all of this. So you can't tell me that I'm not great. You can't tell me we can't do great stuff. And you have proof that we can. Yeah. Because you've seen us do it. They just spent you've seen us do it. They just spent five weeks celebrating it with the last dance. Right. So what are we, what are we, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? And so I think it's gotten to the point where it's just like, we're in the middle of the pit. Cause this is the hardest thing about what's going on right now. As us black people, when these things happen, you get around your friends, you're in a safe space. And I don't know. I always use the term safe space. Cause all these girls talk about safe space, safe space, safe space. Girl, I'm in America. I ain't nowhere safe. But 
Except my mama house. That's the limit. Um, Talking about the pandemic? Mm-mm, it was the pandemic. It's... And I'm trying to find the best way to explain this. Because I know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Whenever things like this happen, whenever there's this, you know, now we're marching again, and now, you know, even during the march, somebody else got killed. They're not listening to us. They're not paying attention. You have the opportunities to be around other black people, and I don't have to say anything. I don't have to tell somebody I'm okay. I don't have mm-hmm. to do, I don't have to go through all of this emotional labor trying to make you feel okay. Cause that's the other part. Cause if they feel like they didn't make us feel better, then now I'm going through the emotional labor, making you feel better for not making me feel better. This is not, yeah. this is not fair to me. Mm-hmm. You call to make me feel better, man. Hey man, get off my phone. Cause you know what? You're not going to get it. You don't even go to this school. So <laughs> you're not going to yeah. get it. But you have the opportunity usually when things like this happen to be around other black people and to be in a space where I don't have to tell you what's wrong. Right. And we can heal off the energy of each other and get that little boost that you need to just be like, all right, let's go do this again. Right. And now we're in a pandemic. So it's, I can't be around my friends. I can't get that recharge. I can't get that uh, that thing of you get it. Yeah. I'm not on my phone yelling. Right. I'm not yelling into the void of the internet. It's you're just like, you just get to sit there and you're just like, I am with black people. I am good. I am. Even if we're in a, even if we're at a comedy club, we're in a white space, all of us are here. And everybody here gets it. Yeah. And it's a way to heal and to recharge. And we can't do that right now. And that's one of the hardest parts about this. Yeah. And now they're talking about the numbers might go back up with the COVID because of the protests. And I'm just like, what is, I want a refund. Next year needs to be also called 2020 because we need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. History like, will show like, yeah. that it was 2020 and then it was 2020 part two. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's the same age. You ain't getting no older. Fuck your Zoom birthday party. This did not happen. We're yeah. doing a reset. Don't print 2021 calendars just yet. No, Just put the 2020s 2020 back <laughs> all over again because something something slipped in the matrix. I don't know whose god you pissed off, but they mad. <laughs> uh, well, Dulce, uh, it has been amazing having you on uh, on the Daily Zeitgeist. Honestly, thanks, friends. Uh, yeah, thank you. All time great, great guest. Uh, we were so excited to have you on, and uh, it was amazing having you. Where can uh, people find you and follow you and check you out? Um, I'm on the winter. I'm on the interwebs um, at at Dulce Sloan D U L C E S L O A N. Um, I also have a new podcast that just started in April called That Black Ass Show. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles, I would have to have you on. I would love to come on. So basically, it is a podcast about black TV shows and um, films, and even you know black plays that have you know shaped the world and continue to shape the world. And I've talked to um, the episode that it comes out every Wednesday. Um, So yesterday, uh, we put out the episode with uh, Yasser Lester, and we were talking about Tales from the Hood. And first of all, a movie has never scared me as much as that movie did, which is why I couldn't, I just, ah, it's so scary. <laughs> um, and I don't do horror movies. It was awful. But there's four vignettes in it. And the first vignette is about police brutality. So 
we, you know, talk about the four different vignettes in the movie and how they're relevant to what's going on right now. And I've talked to like Ron Funches about Fear of a Black Hat. I talked to Thea Vidal about her show Thea and how, you know, back in the mid 90s, she was fighting to get black writers on her show. And which is crazy because we're still having that same fight. So, yep. And it's on Starburns Audio and it's on Spotify and the iTunes. Amazing. And, um, just catch me when I'm on the Daily Show when I'm on the Daily Show. Yeah. Sometimes I know when I'm going to be on. Sometimes I don't know when I'm going to be on. <laughs> and is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying or want people to check out? Hmm. Well, I'm a huge fan of uh, them, their cat videos. <laughs> um, love a cat video. I there's a, com- there's a comic in Vancouver named Hassan Phils. And his Instagram is called Filling Myself. And his Instagram has been my favorite thing to watch during quarantine. Uh, he, there was a push-up challenge he was doing, and he was like, what? Can't come for me? And he does push-ups with two hands, and then just push-ups with one hand, and then he tries to do push-ups with no hands, and then he just falls on his back and rolls, <laughs> and he's just going, ah, ah, ah. And it's very, it's very silly. Um, he has conversations with himself like he's with his homeboy. It's, it's, I love it. So it's very funny. I love him. Miles, where can people find you, follow you? What's a tweet you've been enjoying? Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Miles of Gray. Also, my other podcast, 420 Day Fiance, where, you know, as you get high, talk about 90 Day Fiance, help soothe our wounds. Uh, another, let's see, some tweets that I like. The first one is from The Onion. It's a, it's a picture of Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York. It says, de Blasio, it is an honor to have my daughter doxxed by the greatest police force in the world. This dude, oh, uh, that is pretty on the nose. And then another one at some gizmo. It said Antifa is an organization the same way that quote people who hate Dave Matthews Band end quote is an organization. <laughs> All right, uh, you can find me and follow me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. I'll just uh, go with at Karen Han tweeted, "Hey New York Times, what the fuck is this?" And it was the op-ed from Tom Cotton. Just said, send in the troops. Oh, yeah, that was... Dude, the New York York Times Times continues to lose. Lost its way. Wait, what happened? Tom Cotton has been like the spokesperson other than Trump for let's use the military to, you know, enforce, to to abuse the... For these people asking for rights. Yes. Uh, And and they gave him an Mm. op-ed. They let him go on their op-ed page and say, send in the troops. Um, yeah. You the, can, the whole piece starts, this week, rioters have plunged many American cities into anarchy. That's uh, the first sentence of uh-huh. this thing. Get the... F- and this is what I'm talking that's about. That's not... No. They're not that's not about, happening. No. That's not... I also like yeah. the tweet from the person who uh, is in the same building as Megan McCain, and Megan McCain yeah. is like, girl! "I walked outside of my building, yeah. and it was sheer chaos, girl." She's like painting a I picture. I saw that, and I just went. <laughs> like it's, sometimes God moves quick. You understand? Sometimes right. the Lord just comes through and go. We ain't gonna some certain yeah. things. We ain't gonna let live. I invited you to my like, wedding. Invited you to my wedding. It's like, girl, we live in the same building. You're fine. Yeah. But the You're audacity fine. to even type out a lie like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, because again, and I and I hate to come back into the content of the show, but they need this v- version of what is happening out here to delegitimize what 
the the reason is for this uprising. So then all they can do is be like, I don't know, people are mad and they're just burning stuff down. This is really ridiculous. And every time- You saw the Patagonia store in Santa Monica where the boy left on the skateboard and his friend pulled off on a motorcycle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know that wasn't us. No. Come on now. <laughs> no. And that's why the police were, lit, were, were fine with that. They were more focused on the people fighting white supremacy. Not stealing the guy shit. was like, are you with Black Lives Matter? And he was like, looked at him and went, yeah. like, I don't have to answer this question. Yeah. Bitch, I got a skateboard. Like, I mean, a surfboard. <laughs> A whole surfboard? Yeah, there was one. You don't think that looks... It's L.A. It's not going to look suspicious if you're yes. holding a surfboard in a motorcycle. Never mind. <laughs> I digest. Uh, and then... Uh, yeah, okay. That was it. Wait, I think, Jack, you were... Oh, that's right. We got <laughs> spun off from the Tom Cotton thing. Yeah. Uh, anyways, you can find me on Twitter, Jack underscore O'Brien. You can follow us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as the song we ride out on. Miles, what are we riding out on today? Oh, just, you know, I had, I just need things that sound good feel good have a good message so this is uh one of my favorite bob marley songs small axe uh where the lyrics are if you are a big tree then we are a small axe ready to cut you down mm. uh and i think that's just a, you know we have to just you know keep your ears and eyes open and please don't this energy is it has is going to have to continue that's the only thing i can keep keep saying uh, well, The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending. We'll talk to you then. Yeah.